consumers just want to be able to start a transaction on their phone, finish it in the store, pick up something curbside. The fraudsters actually love channels because it means opportunities to exploit the gaps between in processes between channels. So I think more than ever, if a business can start to reconcile the various interactions across channels to common viewpoint for that consumer, you start to solve the fraud problem as well because you start to naturally close the gaps between the channels where fraud does tend to occur. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. So many payment trends emerge and accelerate over the past year. We've seen mobile payment really rise in prominence and adoption. We've seen consumers pay with their smartwatches, and we've seen just walk out technology reach a whole new level of penetration. All of these trends together really make the case for not just a stellar payment experience and how that contributes to customer engagement, satisfaction, and loyalty, but it also makes the case for a stellar cybersecurity and fraud prevention strategy. I know, it's a lot to handle, but hear me out. Because with every new payment channel, new payment tech, whether it be contactless or you know, pay at the cash wrap, there are security implications that retailers need to think about and of course respond to. Um, so I wanted to sit down with an expert who could tell me the nitty gritty details about what's happening in the payment space, the security implications of these new trends, um, what consumers want, and what retailers need to do to be successful moving forward. So I brought in David Britton of Experian uh, to sit down with me, and he has an expansive history in the fraud space. In fact, he is touted as one of the very first internet fraud investigators, which is super exciting. So he really breaks it down for me. As you all may know, I am not a payment security expert. So he simplified some things, um, talked about the correlation to customer experience, which I'm sure a lot of you are going to find fascinating. So with that, um, let's dig into the conversation. David, thanks so much for taking the time. Good to have you on the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, and we have a fascinating conversation lined up today to talk all things digital and payment security. But first, I do want to backtrack a little and go into your career a bit. Did some digging, tried to understand a little bit about your history in this space, and one thing really stood out to me. So I went on the website, of course, read your bio, and you are touted as one of the very first internet fraud investigators, which is very impressive. What got you interested and immersed in this space to begin with to get you to this level of stature? 
it's either impressive or it just makes me feel really old. That's <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was one of these things where I had finished graduate school and I was living up in the Bay Area. And when you finish graduate school and you're looking for that first job, it was right at the time when, when the dot-com bubble was really booming. And I was recruited in and hired to, I was a creative type. And I convinced the hiring manager at a dot-com startup that they needed a creative type to help them solve this thing that they were calling a fraud problem. They didn't know how else to articulate it. And the people that were being interviewed for the job were former law enforcement officers, former Secret Service folks. And I told them, no, they needed someone with a more artistic, out-of-box thinking type that understood the basics of technology. I was not a technologist, though. And they bought it. And that sort of began the career. And I remember the first day on the job, just sort of staring at a screen of seeing these bids and purchases coming through. And someone said, OK, tell us which ones are fraud. And that's kind of how it began. And I started working with the engineers at the shop and we built our own mechanisms to try to detect fraud. And that really began the career for me. Very interesting. And you kind of came into the Experian fold, I believe. And please correct me if I'm wrong, through the acquisition of 41st Parameter, your previous company. You served on the executive team there. And of course, now you kind of play a critical role in the global ID and fraud side of the Experian business. Is that right? I mean, what kind of breaks down the day-to-day for you right now? No, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah, I was part of the founding team at the 41st Parameter where we, in the early 2000s, where fraud was still on the rise, finding new ways to identify fraud by looking at things like device intelligence, meaning what are the devices that people are using to be able to buy things online? That was really what began that whole part of the business. And now, of course, that's sort of a, a standard tool that businesses use. So yes, fast forward, Experian acquired that business several years ago. And my role now is really one of helping to drive our strategy within the global identity and fraud group for Experian, working both with our clients to understand what their needs are across a number of verticals in the industry, and then working internally very closely with our product organizations and our executive strategy groups to say, these are areas where we know we need to invest. This is what the market really needs in terms of solving these really big problems in digital, both related to identity and then as a follow-on, how identity impacts fraud for a business. So it really comes down to how do you allow our businesses, our customers, to build strong, trusted relationships with their consumers, keeping consumers safe in the process, but then also keeping the businesses safe and delighting customers along the way? All very relevant points, I think, for our listeners right now. So let's dig into the the concerns, the, the trends for retail specifically, right? Because you, you kind of mentioned that the need to kind of balance the security, if not for the integrity of the business, but also for the customer experience. And I think that's a very fascinating intersection that has kind of been bubbling up for a while, but I feel like it's really accelerated in retail recently because of this shift to digital that everyone's been talking about over the past year. So Digging into kind of experience positioning and how you're serving the retail market specifically, I mean, what, what's kind of been top of mind for you personally or even experience as a whole as retailers are trying to navigate this 
accelerated space right now. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see, you know, digital has been on the rise now for more than a decade. Right? There's always the explosion of digital has been on the rise. But what we saw last year specifically was a compression of timelines, I guess, in terms of even more acceleration. And even now, as we're, I mean, by the way, growth in digital across the board of 20% in the course of the year, which is unprecedented. You almost get tired of saying the word unprecedented, but but that's where we're at right now. The truth is, though, that there was some question as to coming out of the pandemic a bit. And as things start to open up, would there be a drop back to pre-pandemic norms on digital traffic? And the answer is no. The new volumes, the new levels of traffic are here to stay and will probably only progress from here. And so what we've seen is a couple of things. Businesses, by the way, have done a really admirable job to step in and try to bolster what they needed to enable the digital environments to allow that bigger amount of traffic to come through. And the challenge is, of course, that in digital, we always say the Internet was never designed with security in mind. At its foundational core, there is no security in the Internet and everything digital rides on those same rails. And oh, by the way, fraudsters, they're not machines that you're fighting against. When you're fighting fraud, you're actually fighting against creative and what we would call highly motivated individuals to perpetrate fraud. So you have this very unfair kind of environment where there's also the tremendous consumer growth and desire for consumers to come and take part and to gain access to services and business. With all that being said, that desire for business to meet the needs of the customer, to sort of delight them at every moment along the journey, does require some rethinking of how businesses consider the consumer journey. And it it goes to, we talk in detail about it, but it goes to both making sure that the interaction is secure and trusted, and that it's also delightful that for that customer. And for too long, and I'm rambling here, but for too long, there's been this idea that you have fraud prevention on one side and security, and you have to balance it against customer experience. And our perspective is that with the right data used in the right way, you can actually solve both the fraud prevention problem and the security problem and the delight your customer challenge and increase conversion challenge with the same data assets. So rather than thinking of them as opposite forces that have to be contended with, we actually see that there's an opportunity to bring the same data together through the use of great technologies and other analytics to be able to make better decisions on both sides, which ultimately delight the customer. Yeah, a lot of really good stuff there that I want to dig a little bit deeper into. But first, I do want to ask because... I know there have been a lot of conversations around basically the level of consumer savvy, uh, around data that's being collected, how data is used, and of course, the, the next point is the security of that data. So how would you measure or, or I guess, gauge retailers' ability to successfully respond and adapt to new fraud issues or or more sophisticated cyber threats versus kind of tending to the the customer implications. So I guess kind of drilling into that customer experience, part of that equation is making them feel at ease and encouraging them, you know, saying that these are the measures and actions that we're taking to keep your data secure at every touch point. Yeah, it really comes down to understanding the size of the problem, right? There's a term that we kind of coined many years ago now called the attack rate against a business, which was the, what's the total attempt of fraud against a business? 
And for a long time, many businesses just didn't know. And many businesses today still may not know exactly what the size of the fraud attack problem is. And until you understand that, it's very difficult to put the right size solution in place. Because what you end up doing, if you don't understand how much attack you're under, is you start to put general solutions in place that may actually do more harm than good, because they may start to catch good customers out. They may actually block the wrong individuals. So there is this idea that says understanding the size of the problem is actually really important in this particular regard. And then to be able to put the right nuanced solutions in place, which starts with, like, do you really understand who this customer is? Interestingly, last year, we did a survey that said 95% of businesses felt that they really understand who their customers are. They had a good sense of recognizing their customers. And in that same survey, we went to the consumers, almost 10,000 consumers, and the answer was 55% of them never felt really recognized by the businesses they worked with in digital. So you had this huge disparity where businesses felt like they were killing it, and the consumers are sitting there going, you keep asking me who I am. You keep asking me for more information. You keep asking me to prove to you who I am. And so for me, for too long, we as security practitioners have unfortunately put a lot of onus on the customer to prove who they are to the business. And we're starting to see that the, the consumers are starting to come back saying, no, I want invisible means of security. I want invisible methods of authenticating. I don't want to have to rely on passwords anymore. So there's a lot to that. And I think that that goes to enabling the better customer journeys, frankly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we, we've been hearing more about, obviously, continuity of experience, how turnkey it is for the customer. But that's not just about being able to browse the products and add them to cart and hopping across devices. I, I do think that payment piece in particular has always been a challenge, but I feel like with the rise of contactless payment, mobile payment, pay through smartwatch, whatever it is, I mean, I feel like, it, again, accelerate, I feel like I need a, a jar to add a dollar anytime I say <laughs> accelerate anymore. But we have seen that use case, those use cases expand. So... Is it safe to say the urgency is increasing there? I mean, what new threats or considerations kind of come with this expansion? Yeah, I think for too long in retail, there's been focus at the moment of payment, particularly for risk and for choice. And I think that what we're seeing now is that if you look at the totality of the consumer journey, which starts with browsing, right? Maybe even before they even land on your page in a digital environment, right? And then you go through the idea of the browsing to find you. And there's a whole marketing, like how do you find the right customers to bring them to your site? Then there's the browsing of the products on your site, right? There's And there's an opportunity already in those early phases of that consumer journey where you can start to leverage things like digital signals about the devices, about their behavior, before they ever choose to buy something, you can start to get a sense of who they may be, offer them a more elegant experience along that. So the whole point here is if you take that broad consumer life cycle, you break it down into consumer journey, and then you take each of those touch points across the journey into what we call the micro journey. And there are moments of decision that can be made at these little discrete moments, even during a single session of a single customer where you can identify them, start to recognize them, start to give them better experiences. And then when it comes to the really critical thing, like a payment where there's a need for security and authentication and these other things, you already should have a pretty good sense of who that customer is so that you can reduce the barrier when appropriate for that moment of payment. So there's a lot to this and, and it includes things now like 
logging into a digital account before you make a payment. And so you have things like threats like account takeover that are really starting to get on the come to the rise or rising up in the retail space. It's an opportunity for fraudsters you know, where there's been so much focus on security and fraud detection at the point of payment. Now the fraudsters are looking at, well, why don't I just log into the account, steal a bunch of information about that person, maybe even make a purchase with the card on file and have it shipped to a new address. There's a lot of things that can happen at that account authentication before there's an actual transactional moment. So it's really breaking the journey into those different sections and addressing them individually. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. I, I actually, you know, as I try to dissect questions and areas that I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper, the more I thought about it, the more I, I couldn't help but think like, wow, like the level of threats coming from so many different angles is, is a bit overwhelming for retailers, right? Like there's the channels themselves, you know, like, is your e-commerce site secure? Is your mobile app experience secure? Do you have the right systems in place there? There's the consumer level threats, right? Like you kind of talked about the use of passwords and, you know, once they can find that in, you know, through one channel, it's possible through all if they're using the same password, but then it's also employee threats, right? So I feel like there are so many different angles and, and ways to think about security. It's a, it's a bit overwhelming. It can be. And I think this is why if there's anything that has changed and is in increasingly changing, it's this idea of single view from a consumer perspective of your business. If you look at good consumers, fraudsters, and businesses, there's only one of those three that actually thinks about things like channel, and that's the businesses themselves, right? Consumers just want to be able to start a transaction on their phone, finish it in the store, pick up something curbside. The fraudsters actually love channels because it means opportunities to exploit the gaps between in processes between channels. So I think more than ever, if a business can start to reconcile the various interactions across channels to common viewpoint for that consumer, you start to solve the fraud problem as well, because you start to naturally close the gaps between the channels where fraud does tend to occur. And so having a single point of visibility across those becomes very, very powerful. There's also the element, and I think this is the other piece, which is around the payments themselves, right? The payments are changing, how people pay, what they pay with. And you mentioned it earlier, paying with your watch and your phone. And there's an opportunity there, both in terms of being creative around payments and in terms of the security methods that may exist to help enable those payments. So there's a lot that can go on even just on the, on the payment piece itself. Slightly different topic, though, perhaps, yeah. No, oh, it's very interesting. Can you dig into that a little bit more just so I fully understand? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So so one of the things that was interesting is we've done a big survey over the last four years, five years now, I guess, that we call the Global Fraud Report. It's a free, free, dot, free report that's actually quite interesting. And it's not like a lot of other fraud reports that focus on the threats. This one's more business-centric about what are the trends in business or as it relates to people's attitudes toward fraud and security and so on. And over the last years, we've asked the consumers, like, what are your top three methods, preferred methods of authenticating or security, security tools? And in that list has always been things like passwords, one-time passcodes, and biometrics. That was always the, sort of the top three, biometric data. And you imagine with the advent of face ID and touch ID and the equivalent on mobile devices that's been popular. For the first time this year, however, we saw that passwords dropped out of the top three. So consumers are no longer tolerant of passwords. They don't like them. They know there's vulnerability now. They've been educated on that. And what's replaced it in the top three is really interesting, which is 
invisible means of security. So the consumers are now really shifting toward, I don't care how you do it. I don't even want to know what you're doing, but please secure the transaction for me. And so the types of tools that can be brought to bear in a digital channel are actually quite good. They go back to things like rich device intelligence. Does this device actually associate to this person? More than just the device itself, it's like, what network is this device coming from? Does that align for how David normally interacts? And then the latest evolution in a lot of this is around what we call behavioral analytics, right? Did this person type in the data in the form or did they copy and paste it into the form? How quickly did they navigate through it? Is it a bot that's actually just using a whole script of data or not? And so those invisible methods of technology to secure the payment piece become really powerful. And it's sort of the permission from consumers to business to adopt more of these invisible methods. For too long, it's funny, we, there's been this idea of the theater of security, right, where there's, you'll see a one-time passcode coming across and you'll see on the, on the web form, you know, here are all the steps you have to go through and it makes the customer feel really warm and fuzzy about how secure the site may be. But oftentimes those things are not necessarily great fraud prevention tools. They're micro hurdles, if you will, but the fraud, the good fraudsters typically can get around them quick, pretty quickly. So all that to say, the adoption of, of biometrics when a device that has that capability, that's here to stay, I think. We're gonna see an evolution of that, an ongoing evolution. Then there's this invisible security means like things like behavior and behavior analytics. And is this David's normal behavior or is this not David's normal behavior? And can we use that so we don't have to keep asking David, is this you? Is this you every time? Yeah. I do want to dig a little bit deeper into that behavioral analytics side because that's fascinating. But first, I do want to ask as far as security methods, I've been seeing a lot more activity around the connection of accounts as a means to log in. So for example, connect to your Google account, connect to your Facebook account. What is that described as? Like, How is that characterized, I guess, in the security world? Yeah, so that's what we would call social login, actually, which is not quite federated identity or federated credential management. It is really using an existing authenticated account like your social media account, and then just leveraging those same credentials into one of the others. And those have been popular to a degree and for a time, although, frankly, we're starting to see a little bit of a decline in that regard, because I think that when you get into more areas of higher potential risk, right, like payments, transactions, banking, and so on, you'll very rarely see social login being used for a bank. And there's good reason for that, right? Because banks don't want to hand over the process of good consumer authentication to a social media platform that doesn't have as much to protect. So all that being said, why those things came to the fore is because the current authentication methods are quite laborious, right? They're kind of a pain in the neck, the way you have to authenticate today. So this idea now that says consumers are giving businesses the permission to move past the traditional username password approach to things like behavioral analytics, passive means behind the scenes, all goes to really allowing simple recognition of a customer to drive the authentication process. And in digital, that means that identity has a new meaning, right? So David is no longer just David Britton with an address and a social security number. David uses a MacBook Pro, right? Or David has comes from a network all the time. And so there's a whole bunch of attributes that are available in digital that we're just starting to scratch the surface that can be used to get rid of the artificial 
kind of username password type approach to authentication where we can actually start to recognize people the way you might have when you walked into a store years ago at the local shop where the shop owner knew who you were because they could see you, they recognize your voice and so on. We're trying to replicate that, frankly, in the digital world. Yeah, that's a great way to compare the process and what the what the objective is, right? Because, you know, the fact that you kind of brought up those different scenarios or, or red flags from a behavioral standpoint that may encourage the retailer to be like, nah, I don't think it's this person, whether it be location or you mentioned payment activity. Uh, what other kind of red flags or insights can be gleaned from this more behind the scenes, but always working and more behavioral type analysis. You know, it's really interesting. If you think of a physical retail environment, right, you have a front door at a shop. People tend to come through the front door. And if you're in a small enough town or whatever, you, that you recognize that person, as I said, based on height, voice, the way they walk, whatever it is, physical characteristics. And they usually come through the front door. If someone were to suddenly climb through a side window into your shop and it was someone that you really didn't recognize from physical attributes, you'd be highly suspect, Right. What we've seen now in digital is that there are similar tells, right? If someone comes and is a frequent visitor to your shop digitally, and they come with the same device, and they come from the same network, and then suddenly someone purports to be David because they're using David's account, but they've suddenly come through an internet service provider from an IP address that's totally unrelated, or more importantly, like, the currency setting on their device is not U.S. dollars, it's some other foreign currency or other things, you start to have a number of tells that can be very powerful. And on the behavioral side, this includes things like, how does David move the mouse on his laptop? How does he move the cursor? How fast does, does he type words into a web form? Does he remove things from the shopping cart or not? You know, there's like, we found early on that fraudsters almost never remove something from the shopping cart. But consumers that are conscious of how much budget they have and are doing some price comparison may actually put something in the cart, check to see what the total will be on the shipping amount might be, and then may remove that over time. And if you can start to observe those nuanced little minor behaviors, which have, by the way, nothing to do with privacy of the individual, it's just behavior, you can start to say there is a pattern here that can be an, another indicator of fraud. The other thing to bear in mind is that None of this is binary, right? It's the compilation of all of this data brought together with the right analytics that can yield really accurate results, not just any one of them in isolation. Oh, that's incredible. It's interesting because we've covered, talked about analytics from an experience standpoint or, you know, to your point around card abandonment or card activity, using that as a mechanism for marketing campaigns or re-engagement campaigns. But the, my point is like it makes perfect sense to like bring in fraud detection into that mix, but it's interesting that it's like still or has been so siloed in terms of like how we look at security as a discipline and, and as a strategy. Exactly right. And I think this is why within business, we tend to have to have functional priorities as people, right? We tend to live in a group, right? I'm in the fraud group. I'm in the marketing group. I'm in the, in the customer service support group. Again, if you put on the shoes of the consumer and walk through that process, a, they just want to be recognized. B, they want to have the service when they want it through whatever means possible. And this is why I, we continue to double down on this idea that says the same data that could be really powerful and useful in marketing, looked at from a slightly different angle, that same data attribute could be really powerful for solving a fraud problem. And in fact, all of the digital fraud tools that we invented and that we started rode the rails on were born out of marketing originally, like little things, like knowing what browser 
is trying to view your website. Web designers know you have to customize it and make sure it's Chrome versus Safari, et cetera. Well, that same set of data became really interesting to us on a device recognition side. We could start to say, hey, this person normally comes from this configured browser, but it was borrowed from some of the marketing tools that were already being used on web analytics. So there's more synergies than not, I guess, is the point. Right, right. It, it kind of reaffirms how important it is to break down those silos and that in these conversations, whether it be around digital experience or even the store, when we talk about rolling out contact lists or, you know, pay through touchscreen, like making sure that there is someone from IT and, and security represented in these conversations, right? Because only they are as immersed in it to think of the possible gaps or or the possible threats that may be existing in those new experiences that retailers are trying to roll out. So definitely some good points there. Yeah. And I think that to be fair, it goes to how groups are incentivized within the business. And whenever, you know, as we were running shops and as we've consulted businesses, ensuring that the managers of fraud are equally aware of an incentive to ensure customers get through as much as they are to stop fraud is a critical KPI internally. And conversely, on the marketing side, making sure that programs are rolled out with a thought to what that may do from a security perspective are also critical. And I don't think they need to be at odds. Those are great conversations to have internally. And we're finding that I think there is a gap coming closer. There's more convergence than there was several years back in this regard. And I think it has to do with the fact that businesses themselves are starting to put people in place at the higher level in the business around owning all of digital, right? Rather than fraud sitting wholly in one side and and marketing and go to market wholly on another side. There is some convergence, but I think there's still work to be done. Great. Definitely some good points there, David. And I feel like we've kind of been talking about emerging trends, changes that may be happening in the fraud prevention and cybersecurity landscape as a result of the rise of biometrics, contactless, mobile and you know watch payments, all that great stuff. But are there any other trends emerging or maybe even threats emerging that retailers should be cognizant of and, and start to integrate into hopefully these more frequent conversations and collaborations around the customer experience and security specifically? Yeah, I think there are a couple. One of them actually, we're just talking about trends in general. There's a new push around things like buy now, pay later, which is great. And new credit offerings at the point of payment, right? Whether those are branded cards or in-store credit or digital credit, or the buy now, pay later kind of schemes. Those are all really, really beneficial to the consumer, by the way. It gives them a tremendous amount of choice, and the consumers do need and like that. But then, of course, that raises new concerns, right? Because you're no longer dealing with just a card payment. You may actually be extending credit, and there's credit risk associated with that for the business. So there's a whole new practice that the business has to adopt around underwriting. (laughs) Fortunately, companies like Experian have a lot of experience, as you can imagine, in credit underwriting and credit scores and so on. So The point is that that presents a tremendous opportunity for growth for the business, but equally presents a a new challenge to them. And if handled in isolation, meaning if you're doing all of your traditional marketing up front and then a traditional risk assessment untethered to what you might be doing from a credit extension and offering credit at a buy now, pay later, you may run the risk of having some blind spots, right, because you're not seeing them as a holistic journey. So we would say there's some work to be done there, and there's a different risk profile, perhaps, that needs to be understood at that point of payment. The other area that's a concern, I think, is around the fact that 
particularly in in retail services and media and streaming and things like that of that nature. And even traditional retailers are now starting to do more with accounts, like establishing an account as a consumer and signing into the account. And at that moment, you also now have what we would call the account takeover threat, where fraudsters are, are going to be using stolen credential data or even stolen identity data to create an account or to log into an account, even if they don't have any payment details. They can either go and create a payment card or they can go and apply for a payment card on stolen identity data, or they can log into an existing account where there may be personal data there, there may be shopping history preference data. And that's what we would call account reconnaissance activities that fraudsters will undertake prior to actually doing some form of a fraud uh, transactional threat. So again, having a solution that can look at not just payment fraud, but also the fraud that may happen earlier in the life cycle new account sign-up fraud, synthetic identities, by the way, fraudsters are using what we call synthetic identities, which we can explain if we'd like to here in a moment, to create an account that doesn't actually exist anywhere, but it's a Frankenstein identity that they're pulling together. And then account takeover are all areas of concern. Excellent, David. Well, I mean, sadly, we're at the top of our time together. I feel like we can go on and on and on. There's so many different layers to the, to this. But to close up, again, you've noted a lot of great considerations, strategic best practices for the folks listening. But are there any other recommendations or, or best practices for retailers as they strive to integrate security more into the customer experience as they're kind of adding these new touch points and these new experiences? Because like we've kind of brought up earlier in our conversation, this is an ongoing process, right? As new tech trends emerge, retailers are going to be adding it to their tech stack and their strategy, and the security plan has to scale with that, right? So, I mean, and any kind of closing thoughts to put a bow in our chat today? Yeah, I think so. I think that the big takeaway is that there's a tremendous amount of data that can be used if you know how to harness it properly. And then to use that data requires complex analytics capabilities as well. And one of the things that experience is it really does well, and I'll have to make this pitch, I guess, is, is that we understand complex data. We know where there may be from a fraud prevention and identity prevention perspective or identity verification perspective. There are ways to bring together various attributes, whether they're experience own data sets or third parties. We've done a lot of work to figure out how to orchestrate and do analytics across the entirety of a data set. And that's critical to make the right decisions at every moment in that journey. And so we would just suggest and, and encourage folks to say, find the right data, find the right data partners, and then apply really strong analytics against them. That's the best way forward here to ensure you're delighting customers while also keeping the interactions safe. Beautiful, David. Well, thank you again so much for uh, taking the time out. I feel like we went off script there a little bit, but so many interesting um, interesting points, um, considerations, and new trends to look out for. Uh, really appreciate you kind of breaking them down for me and explaining them in um, such a comprehensive yet easy to understand way, because I'm definitely not a security expert, but you made it pretty easy to understand. So thank you. Well, fantastic. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me today. And of course, to all of you listening, thank you for joining us. I hope this conversation was as enlightening for you as it was for me, especially if you're thinking about adding some of those new payment methods that we talked about over the course of our conversation. If you have any comments or questions for us or specifically David, feel free to drop us a line on Twitter at our touch points or on LinkedIn. We would love to continue the security conversation. And of course, 
course, if you haven't subscribed to the pod and you want to get updates when new conversations are available, you can do so on your preferred podcast player. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.